Tim? Tim? It's... Tim? Tim? It's me. Gwyneth. Tim? Tim? It's me. Gwyneth and Wanda. Tim? Tim? Oops, that was just one of the many thousands of mistakes I made when trying to record Double Trouble. This is James Gofield, the creator of the podcast Behind the Bottom Line and the writer of season five story Double Trouble. This is the final episode of this season and in it I want to take you behind the scenes and tell you some of the background to the ideas that came up in the story. And at the end of today's episode, I'm going to tell you about my next project, which will be coming out from the beginning of October uh, and is called Peril in Venice. So let's have a look then at the background to Double Trouble. And of course, as most of you will have recognised, it's a reworking of a classic story of the twins changing places. Um, First version that I know is... Das Doppelte Lottchen, or The Double Lottie, by Eric Kastner, which dates back to the 1940s, where twins change places. There have been lots of film versions of this, um, the most recent perhaps being The Parent Trap, filmed in Hollywood with the Olsen twins, and then there's another version with Lindsay Lohan as well. Of course, the story of two people who look identical changing places is older than that. Uh, You've got Mark Twain, the Prince and the Pauper back in the 1880s. And uh, I think also my story was quite influenced by a children's author, uh, an English children's author, Beatrix Potter, uh, her story, The Town and Country Mouse, where two mice change places. One town mouse goes to live in the country and the country mouse goes to stay in the town for a while and have all sorts of adventures. I like the idea of doing this kind of story because um, I spent a lot of my time in the country uh, when I was growing up, uh, but I've lived in or near big cities for most of my adult life. And I write quite a lot about London, not just in this story, but in my other short stories as well, partly because I like it so much. And the bits in it about London, I always try to be as accurate as possible. The farm in Devon is partly based on my experience living in a very small village in Dorset called Milbourne Port. And that village had a local cheese shop which had Dorset blue cheese, which was the model for the Aldridge blue that Timothy was so proud of. The idea of parts of the country being cut off by floods dates back to my childhood and um, Uh, Back in 1968, the whole of the south and southwest of England was really badly flooded. And I remember it in particular because I wasn't able to get back to school. And that was great to have another couple of days holiday. Now, at the time, in the West Country, um, whole villages were cut off for some time. Um, Animals and also people drowned. And obviously, this was an event which stuck in my mind. And uh, so I decided to recreate it for my story. Now, in the story, there's quite a lot about self-help books. Uh, Judith Sukutsus with her one, two, three building adult relationships built on respect. And I'm quite a fan of self-help books. Um, and what is I find interesting is that people who mock self-help books are often 
keen readers of management books, which are often practically the same thing. Uh, and in fact, the, the technique that Timothy uses so effectively on his boss, Louis Madison, though less effectively on Tanya Mishkovich, um, is a classic feedback technique that you can find in loads of management books, as well as self-help literature. It was fun to play with the idea of uh, a country mouse like Timothy producing an advertisement. Um, and I have a kind of love-hate relationship with advertising, I suppose. What I find disturbing is that all advertising essentially wants to do is make us dissatisfied with our lives at the moment so that we buy the product that they are advertising. And um, everybody is influenced by advertising. And I think you're fooling yourself if you think that you aren't. And it's very good. It's very clever because you've got a lot of very clever people working in it. At university, I studied history of art. And this means that I relentlessly analyze advertisements to try to tease out text and subtext that the pictures and the situations and the people and their clothing and the furniture and everything uh, in the advert to tease out the message that is contained. Um, and I can stare at a poster for hours um, taking it apart, which isn't a very useful way to spend my time. But I do think it's interesting how advertising has changed in my lifetime because it's plainly increasingly aimed at women rather than men, uh, which is logical because according to research, 70 to 80% of consumer purchasing decisions are taken or influenced by women. And on an anecdotal level, I can certainly uh, echo this research. So while I was a student, I worked for a while selling men's clothes in quite a smart department store in central London near, near Piccadilly Circus. And very often we would get men coming in with their wives or their girlfriends to accompany them. And the clothes were quite expensive, but whenever the men put them on, came out of the changing room, I never bothered to talk to the men at all. I only talked to their wives or their girlfriends. Oh, I think that suits him, madam. What do you think? Uh, and it was you know, always successful. I never bothered with the men at all. I, they were basically just a clothes horse. And it was the women who made all the decisions about whether something was going to be bought or not. And if she didn't like it, it wasn't bought. For some reason, I always find names very difficult in my stories. The names for Nicholas and Timothy Aldridge were stolen from two boys who I went to school with. Uh, Timothy and Nicholas Coldridge um, and I just like their names and they have nothing in common with the characters in the story and I just adapted their names slightly for my book. Louis Madison is loosely based on a man uh, who I have huge admiration for, a man called Louis Garnade and he is one of the most amazing characters I've ever met and um, he was the first person to publish me and I owe him a huge debt of gratitude because um, he was the first person who encouraged me to do writing um, and um, and that makes a makes a huge difference when you have somebody like Louis behind you. Um, and uh, Louis uh, also used to wear red socks and braces like the like Louis Madison in the story. Finally, Lady Lois. Um, now, Lois in Germany is quite an unusual name. Uh, of course, you've got Lois Lane, uh, Superman's girlfriend, but 
most Germans are uh, a bit confused by the name Lois, and I live in Germany. Um, but I'm very fond of it because of my grandmother, who was also quite a character. And that's why we gave the name to our oldest daughter, Lois. Now, we realized when we gave it that this name might be a little bit tricky for Germans because of the German name Alois, which is sometimes shortened to Lois. And we, in our innocence, thought we would add the name Maria to her name so that it was plain that she was a girl, so Lois Maria. Uh, but what we didn't realize that in Catholic Bavaria, uh, this could cause problems because quite a few men also have Maria as their middle name uh, in honor of the Virgin. So although her name is Lois Maria, the local town hall still didn't click that she was a girl and um, she was mortified once when a letter arrived from the town hall uh, addressed to Herr Lois Maria. And what was probably worse was that when she went to school, uh, all of the Bavarian teachers had terrible problems with her name. They would call her Louise or Lois, and they never really managed to grasp that it was actually Lois. So my hope is that this book is fantastically successful, um, is made into a film, and so that everybody in Germany will read it or watch the film, and everybody will learn how to pronounce Lois properly. So Susanna, who wrote a lovely review on my website, asked about my next project. And I can tell you now, uh, it's a thriller called Peril in Venice. And here's the opening paragraph. Chapter one, Journey to Pacelli. It was the year a large shark was seen swimming down the Grand Canal. For a week, the newspapers were full of the story and everybody at work told Emily Lee that she would be eaten alive when she announced she was going to Venice for a holiday. Okay, well, that's enough. I hope it tickled your interest and that you'll be there at the beginning of October to listen to Peril in Venice. In the meantime, if you want to buy a couple of Double Trouble for your Kindle or order a paperback copy for yourself or for a friend from my website, go to www.behindthebottomline.com and click on Bookshop. Now, while you're on my website, you might like to subscribe to my free newsletter. The newsletter will tell you when a new season is about to start, take you behind the scenes of Behind the Bottom Line and I hope will generally be an amusing and entertaining experience. And yes, that is also on www.behindthebottomline.com. So I hope you'll join me in October when the first episode of Peril in Venice will be released. As well as on my website, all my stories are available on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. Just search for Behind the Bottom Line and follow me there so you never miss an episode. Just time for one more blooper, and then see you again in October. Take care and goodbye. Chapter 16. I'd better help with... I'd better help with... I'd better help with... I'd better help... I'd better help with... I'd better help with... I'd better help with... I'd better help with...